G'day. Welcome to Lunch Money uh, at this new and improved time of nine o'clock in the morning uh, today, Australian Eastern Standard Time. My name's Nick Samios. Uh, I'm the fund manager uh, here at Hermes Capital and I am your live stream host here at Lunch Money. Um, this morning or today for lunch, uh, we've got uh, Mark Robinson, who is a partner at DeVries Tay, and Mark's a restructuring expert. Um, and I thought that we would kick the year off with um, a little discussion about what the keys are to success in 2023 when it comes to uh, restructuring, small business restructuring, etc. Um, so th there's a number of challenges. Obviously, there's uh, you know there's interest rates that are going up. We've got inflation. Um, there's still supply chain issues that we've talked about for the last couple of years. Um, the banks have started uh, getting active. The Australian Tax Office has started getting active. Uh, I've been talking to a lot of uh, equipment finance brokers. They've been quite busy, most of them, uh, since the new year began. Uh, property finance guys seem to be coming off the boil a little bit. Um, in our space, in the uh, distressed funding space and, and, and in the cash flow debtor finance space, we had a very quiet uh, COVID, but then it picked up uh, with a vengeance towards the end of last year and uh, everyone then seemed to go on holiday. So uh, people are just shaking off the sand that they picked up at the beach and they're coming back soon. But without further ado, I'm going to uh, introduce you to Mark Robinson. Okay, Mark, how good, are you good doing? Idea. Yeah, good, thank you. Very good. Um, now, Mark, you're a partner at Degrees Taya there. You do all sorts of corporate restructuring. Uh, you do a bit of uh, informal advisory as well as mostly, mm. you know, uh, voluntary administrations, et cetera, et cetera. Um, tell me, have you been busy lately? I'll, uh, look, uh, we're getting busier, I guess is the best way to term that. Uh, certainly it's, uh, it's uh, uh, a busier start uh, to this year than uh, uh, like period last year. Um, you know, inquiry levels are certainly well up. Uh, conversion of those inquiries into uh, assignments uh, is improving, but coming off, coming off a low base, I guess that's the best way to summarise it, Nick. Yeah, it's interesting uh, because I think that our businesses are, are mm. parallel in many ways. I mean, obviously mm. what we do is, is very different. You know, you, mm. you provide advice and we provide money. Um, but it's interesting you talk about conversion rates because for that whole, mm. you know, COVID coma that we're going to certainly mm. in our businesses, uh, yeah, the conversion rates were terrible. Uh, mm. I mean, something would cross your desk, and uh, uh, so so, and, and you experience the same thing. I must say that in the in mm. you know since about August of last year, running into Christmas, uh, you know we we'll, were we'll probably you know our conversion rates were yeah. better than they've ever been, better than they've ever mm. been. So now, yeah. having said that, like I said, we've gone into a little bit of a people are still sort of yawning uh, after the January holidays. Yeah, I, I think that's reflective of the the fact that you know a lot of business proprietors of of SMEs, which is my area, uh, that are having issues. Uh, a lot of directors are identifying that they do, in fact, have an issue, uh, that they are seeking, you know, lots of uh, advice and, uh, uh, you know, from a number of different parties. But in terms of having a catalyst to or a call to action that will force them to actually make a decision, that's still a little bit lacking um, out there in the, in the marketplace. Whilst interest rates have gone up, the actual impact of, of those rises are yet to be fully felt. Whilst the ATO is more active, they're still well below uh, pre-COVID levels in terms of court applications and the like. So I think just the, the catalyst or the requirement to actually take action uh, on, on those issues is still a little bit lacking. 
It's interesting you say that. Um, I mean, you, you've, you've picked up a, on a couple of points there. I mean, one is triggers, triggers for action. Mm, mm. The other thing you mentioned is, you know, people do shop around for advice, don't mm. they? I mean, Absolutely. They come to you and, you you, you, you know, you, you tell them what they don't want to hear. Uh, mm. and so then they go and talk to someone else who uh, may be a little bit less scrupulous and, and tells them what they do want to hear. But in the end, what you said was going to happen ends up happening. I mean, it's the same mm. With us, I mean, I had a friend in our game, uh, Louis Hajar, who's a bit of a legend in our industry. I don't know if you knew Louis, mm. uh, but he used to say, mm. "Do your shopping first. You know, get mm. your do your shopping and then come to me." But mm. uh, so that now the other thing you mentioned there were triggers. Uh, mm. So you you don't think the triggers are like the triggers are, uh, for a small business uh, or, or a large business for that matter uh, taking action? You know, sometimes it might be they've won a new contract and they need to clean up. And one mm. maybe they need to buy some new equipment, and yep. you know because of some blots they've got they've picked up through COVID on their credit file. Um, mm. You know, all of a sudden they're coming to me for for new equipment. Uh, so that's a trigger, and obviously, then there's you know, then there's pressing creditors and the ATO mm. taking action. You, you're not seeing so many of those triggers. Um, well, uh, look, uh, yeah, they're obviously not calling me for uh, f- uh you know, uh, finance for uh, for expansion and or uh, yeah, new equipment, for example. Uh, they're more calling me about you know, uh, uh, issues. Uh, and as I said, uh, triggers such as uh, uh, um, ATO uh, stat demands um, and, and or uh, 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 director penalty notices, uh, whilst whilst they're coming off a low base, uh, there aren't that that many out there. Um, you know, they're still working through the uh, savings uh, and uh, and other benefits that they might have had uh, through through COVID. So there's still a bit of a buffer, uh, a bit of bit of fat there to to uh, to work with. So there's uh, still a fair bit of shopping around going on, um, as opposed to uh, taking action. <laughs> Right. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, in December, I, I, I had three different files across my desk. They were all businesses turning over in the order of $50 million. Um, mm-hmm. They were all in the construction industry, actually, mm-hmm. funnily enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all had tax debts, this eye-watering tax debts, you know, $15 mm-hmm. million, $20 million. Mm-hmm. Like these things are just extraordinary. Now, two of them ended up in receivership um, mm-hmm. before I could sort of mm. get there to, to do anything. I mean, I, mm. I tried to get in front of their bankers to talk to their bankers, but their advisors knew better. Uh, the other one, I'm not quite sure, it's it's managed to sort of skate along, but there are, there, like the tax debt out there is massive. I, I think it's underreported, to be honest with you, uh, because I, I can't believe some of, the, some of the files that I said. Oh, look, I, I think... Uh... You know the the amount of huge amount of tax debt is is actually uh, reported, but uh, just what uh, you know what we need is uh, more action on on re- recovering that uh, uh, that overdue uh, uh, tax uh, tax debt. Um, and you know, uh, having said that, that's on one side of the equation. Um, I've also got to say that my experience is is the tax office. If you go, uh, if you you know, on behalf of directors, uh, if you've got a reasonable plan uh, to, uh, you know, address uh, uh, that tax debt uh, by a combination of a repayment plan and, and maybe remission of penalties and the like, and uh, and you might as well shoot for it, but you might get it a, a bit of a trim of the actual underlying uh, debt, uh, that the ATO is, is receptive to those sort of um, uh, commercial negotiation, as long as it's backed up uh, 
by some you know good solid financials and, and a, a plan of action um, in terms of uh, funding you know debt and equity in- injection and and maybe uh, a bit of restructuring if necessary to make it a more resilient business and a good taxpayer going forward. Tell me, I'm just curious. One of the other phenomena about uh, that have come about during. COVID, has, because there's been so much cheap money, there's been a proliferation mm. of lenders, mm. Mm. Uh, particularly in the mortgage space, but also in the so-called fintech space. You know, mm. and, and we finding, you know, we're, our deal size is pushing up because in the lower mm. levels, sort of sub half a million dollars, there's just too much competition from these guys that are lending based on algorithms. Uh, you know, these algorithms are, uh, you know, they scrape data from bank statements, from zero, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. They make quick lending decisions, there's no doubt about it. Uh, they I can't make decisions on distress files, but what I do find is that there is this phenomenon of stacking so that, you know, we'll, we'll see a file, someone's after some money, and then there'll be three of these fintechs all lined up there, all wanting to get paid out. Are you seeing, like, are you seeing on the files that you get to, like a bunch of lenders that you've never heard of before that you need to deal with? Um. Oh well, I've, I've certainly uh, yeah, I'm seeing a bunch of lenders in that space that you describe, but certainly have heard of them. Uh, I guess you know uh, it's in my business and my profession's business to uh, you know try and keep across uh, those those lenders and if you can establish relationships with them, albeit that they're widespread, uh, many and varied. Um, and as you say, um, you know they, they they keep their management structures very thin and have a a, a lot more reliance on algorithms and AI and those sort of uh, tools. So, uh, so their perceived uh, need to establish a relationship with restructuring and insolvency people such as myself, uh, they consider to be a, um, a bit uh, diminished. But uh, getting back to your central question there, Nick, yes, seeing a lot more example of those uh, SME-style uh, platform lenders. Uh, okay, well, let's let's get to the uh, the nub of our, our topic today. I mean, what do you think uh, are the keys to successful restructuring in twenty twenty three in this new sort of environment we're finding ourselves? Well, look, I guess my first statement, which would apply to restructuring and has always applied to insolvency and restructuring, is to act early and seek uh, professional advice. I, I, I guess that that'll equally apply in 2023. You know, it goes without saying a business that understands its uh, uh, options uh, and seeks uh, you know professional advice uh, to uh, assess those options and then if necessary implement those options has a, a much improved prospect of not only surviving but 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 uh, um, but thriving um, you know drilling down more more generally into restructuring you know I, I think um, you know the, the the kit bag of of tools that we have uh, will be the same in 2023, but maybe a, a, a more emphasis on some of them. Um, I think there'll be more emphasis on, you know, um, uh, maybe seeking, uh, you know, credit of. Uh, moratoriums um, if required and maybe in the background they're utilising the uh, safe harbour regime as additional protection for directors uh, whilst they have those negotiation with creditors similarly within that environment you know uh, uh, you know seeking credit moratoriums and the like and I guess more more in your space there Nick uh, is where the interplay of insolvency and restructuring practitioners with, um, you know, nimble and agile uh, finances such as yourself is uh, looking at 
optimising the funding mix, um, you know, uh, in terms of debt refinancing, debt consolidation, um, you know, also looking on the equity side as to whether uh, there can be, uh, you know, issuing of uh, more equity uh, in return for receipt of capital um, and, and well, those, let's those just, sort of things, you know. Let's just step through some of these. One of the th yep. first things you said was acting early. Yep. Um, and mm. there's certainly been impediments to people acting early mm. over mm. the last couple of years because they haven't had those triggers. Um, mm. So, I mean, is there, you know, what are the triggers for acting early going forward versus what we've seen recently? Well, you know, uh, from a director's point of view is, um, you know, threat to um, personal liability, uh, such as uh, director penalty notices and also if they are, in fact, insolvent, uh, personal liability for insolvent trading, you know that that's that's definitely a uh, a, a trigger that uh, that can uh, that can uh, hit hit home. Um, uh, also, particularly, you know, if um, you know uh, security provided for the for the business are, are things such as the matrimonial home um, uh, and and the like. Uh, I guess that you know another you know significant impediment to uh, you know, uh, seeking help early is uh, psychological, you know, rooted in behavioural economics and the like. Um, you know, um, it's just human nature, uh, you know, uh, to, to try and avoid difficulty and maybe not confront it. Uh, and so um, I, I think, uh, you know, directors need a bit of introspection uh, of their own rationales and get real and uh, uh, address the problem at hand and not procrastinate. Now, it's interesting. I, I, I've got a news article here mm. because one of the other points that you made was uh, you mentioned, uh, we'll come back to credit moratoriums because I'm very interested mm. in that, mm. but you also mentioned Safe Harbour. Now, mm. there was this article, uh, again, Clough Engineering went mm. uh, went bust recently. Mm. They were looking to sell their business and that was all the news and then all of a sudden uh, insolvency practitioners were appointed. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, the people that were going to buy them, I can't remember what they're called, we something or other are uh, Chinese. We build. Mm -hmm. We build, that's it. Mm -hmm. um, they're going to end up buying them uh, in any case, and I dare say it's going to be for uh, a lot less than possibly what they were talking about before mm -hmm. the insolvency event. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, it emerged uh, in this article that they had been, uh, they had sought, uh, safe harbour protection. Um, mm. So, tell now. Now, tell me a little bit about you. You mentioned earlier before we went live that you are seeing a little bit of safe harbour in the SME space. I mean, can you tell us? Just give us a, a little thumbnail of what safe harbour is, and then tell me how it's applied to small business. Well, small business, firstly. You know, when I say small business, it's got to be towards the upper end of small business for for, for safe harbour uh, to work because you've got a couple of threshold issues uh, to deal with. Is is essentially you've got to have all your employee entitlements paid up to date, and you also have to have your your tax lodgements uh, up to date as well, which for uh, smaller SMEs can sometimes be problematic. And if they can't attend to those things, they can't even enter through to the gate to um, uh, to commence the safe harbour process. Um, but uh, you know, what the safe harbour process is basically about is engaging with a, 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 
a a professional uh, to you know determine uh, a plan and a way um, uh, to uh, work through uh, the current financial difficulties that would uh, result in a better outcome than uh, a formal process such as voluntary administration or, or liquidation um, uh, would result in for the stakeholders in the business. And you know if that if if there is a proper plan there and it's properly implemented and and properly monitored on the way through, you are said to be in safe harbour. Now, what's interesting is that uh, this obviously would have come as news to a lot of people that uh, that Clough uh, mm. were in safe harbour. I guess it's one of those things where when mm. you see it, it's not surprising, but uh, obviously. Uh, but mm. in retrospect, it's it's not surprising. But one of you you mentioned mm. before um, about uh, you know psychologically, people don't like to seek mm. help. Mm. Uh, early, it's just a, mm. a part of human nature. Though mm. one of the one of the whole points of safe harbour is that you don't have to tell the world about it. So that's it wasn't correct. published anywhere that's the cluff mm. or in safe harbour. I mean, it was it's something you mm. don't have to even declare to the stock market or, or anybody. Mm. And correct. some people say, oh, that's terrible. You should have to declare it. But the whole point of not declaring mm. it is to avoid mm. the embarrassment so that people do seek help earlier. I mean, is it also helping in that regard when it comes to small business? I mean, are they seeking help earlier because they don't have to go public and advertise the issues to their uh, look, uh, I'm yet to see, uh, or I can't, uh, I can't point to proof that Safe Harbour has, um, you know, increased SME businesses, um, you know, seeking help earlier, uh, predominantly because those threshold issues, being you know, payment of employee entitlements uh, in full uh, and having uh, their tax affair lodgements uh, entirely up to date, uh, are impediments. Uh, 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 to them entering that regime, and that that's, that particularly affects SME, and also um, the, the the general is still a bit of a, a lack of awareness uh, in advisors to uh, small business, in in that I mean you know tax accountants, uh, uh, advisors to small business, and uh, and general commercial lawyers. There's a little bit of a uh, still a lack of awareness of. Uh, the ability uh, to enter into safe harbour and, and what uh, benefits that they can provide uh, to directors and the business generally. Because I guess the idea of safe harbour also mm. is to protect the directors so they can't be mm. sued for insolvent trading. You know, mm. the, the business has got mm. issues and before there was safe harbour, you may say, mm. well, if I, if I keep mm. trading insolvent, mm. then I'm mm. going to get I could potentially yep. at risk of losing everything. But now if I enter safe mm. harbour, at least I can try and save the jobs, save my relationships mm. and, you know, save what I'm owed, what I owe creditors, et cetera. Uh, and uh, another- uh, yeah, uh, sorry, just to cover off on that, the, the, the other benefit of uh, safe harbour is not just to encourage directors to come forward, but, but also in that environment, if a proper plan is put in place early, it's for the benefit of all um, all stakeholders and and preserving value in the business. So that's a, another primary uh, outcome of a successful safe harbour regime. Yeah, I saw a quote the other day. I'm, I'm going to forget it now. Something about um, you know the plan. The plan is useless, but the process of putting the plan together is indispensable. You know, so certainly mm. forcing people to to, to, mm. to put a plan together makes them think. Um, now, another thing you mentioned there was creditor moratorium. So, are you talking mm. about informal? arrangements yeah. is that what you mean by that so yeah. a business has got some issues with its creditors and rather than mm. go into voluntary administration um, mm. 
you know, and look, I mean, we talk with a lot of mm. finance brokers and they hate mm. the idea of voluntary administration for their clients mm. because Absolutely. they perceive it's going to make it hard for them to raise capital. Mm. You know, the next time the client needs a piece of equipment, the mm. bank's going to say no, et cetera, et cetera. Where, so tell me a little bit about uh, creditor moratoriums. Have you done any of those of late and what do they look like? Yeah. Oh, look, uh, I, you know, firstly, you know, your comment's spot on. You've got to explore all your informal um, means to restructure and seek help, um, you know, before you press the trigger on the on the formal uh, solutions, uh, such as voluntary administration uh, and the like. You know, you, if you can successfully get an informal uh, moratorium and and restructure across the line, that's going to be best for uh, for the business and uh, and and all stakeholders. Typically, informal uh, moratoriums with creditors. Uh, Look, uh, they're best achieved if you've only got a, a few um, uh, major creditors uh, to negotiate with and you can clean up and pay out essentially the minor creditors uh, because in an informal process, trying to herd the cats and keep the cats together and get them to uh, all agree at the same time uh, becomes exponentially harder uh, the more creditors that you have to deal with. So I've typically found does work uh, in SME, particularly where ATO and maybe one or two key suppliers are the, the major uh, creditors uh, to the business and you've got sufficient uh, savings and cash reserves to clean up uh, the minor creditors. Um, you know, that's a good recipe uh, for a creditor moratorium in an SME business. And uh, these creditor moratoriums, are they compatible with the safe harbour? Uh, yes, yeah, they, they are, and they and they could well be part of the safe harbour plan. Yeah, because obviously, you know, there's still this ongoing uh, risk of of insider trading, so the director wants to mm. avoid that. There, mm. Look, we won't we won't go down the rabbit hole mm. of uh, prefer, preference payments and all that sort of thing that credit moratoriums might 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 uh, mm. might might. Uh, Uncover. All right. Now, the other thing you mentioned there was uh, was equity. So, are you seeing uh, either formally or informally, uh, you know, new new partners coming in? Are the suppliers? I mean, who are these equity providers? Uh, you know, is it mum and dad? Is it, is it is it a supplier? Is it a private equity firm? What what what, what are you seeing? And how does? Oh, uh, yeah, look, I'm I'm seeing private equity. Uh, more in uh, you know startups where there is uh, whilst there might be some financial difficulties uh, there's still some blue sky um, to shoot for that is you know uh, you know uh, blue sky with some real real prospects uh, that that uh, attracts private equity albeit that uh, that pool is uh, is diminishing uh, at a pretty significant rate um, if, if we've got directors or shareholders looking to uh, put their funds in um, rather than equity I'd much prefer the process of putting it by way of secured uh, secured debt um, and uh, and uh, and that uh, that security being noted noted and registered on the PPSR, uh, such that that not only secures uh, that injection, it also gives uh, the those new uh, fund providers a bit of leverage if a, a formal process needs to be uh, engaged with, like a voluntary administration down the track. Uh, they have the extra. Uh, power and influence of a secured creditor rather than a, as an unsecured creditor to get the appropriate outcome uh, uh, through, let's say, a deed of company arrangement. Yeah, I, I always say if, if mum, mm. dad or the brother or mm. the uncle mm. or the guy at the mm. pub wants to uh, lob some money into your business to help you mm. out, 
yeah. uh, always take security. Yeah. I mean, even if they, mm. even if they're taking equity, you know, still mm. put them, mm. put most of the money in as debt and take security mm. and, and protect because mm. uh, that way they might get their money back and they might be able to help the business again. Mm. Yeah. You know, whereas mm. uh, otherwise mm. it's just money into a black hole. And um, okay, look, uh, okay, so we've talked about. Uh, Taking early action, creditor moratorium, safe harbour, and equity. Mm. I think we, we mm. went through all your points. Uh, uh, in terms of uh, you know general uh, general things to 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 look for, um, you know yeah. uh, there are other motherhood sort of well known areas of restructure which uh, I, I don't propose to talk to. I guess you're more looking yeah. at let's see what happens in 2023. There, there yeah. might be might be worthwhile spending a bit of time on on different industries in terms of yeah. what 2023 might look like for them in terms of insolvency and, re, and restructuring. Well, we've seen a plethora of uh, businesses in the construction space. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I guess there's two reasons for that. One reason is mm-hmm. that we specialise in progress claims. So naturally, yep. uh, we're yep. going to see that. Uh, but mm. secondly, there just seems to be a lot of uh, a lot of tension in that industry with fixed price contracts, mm. Uh, mm. et cetera, et cetera. So I guess that's going to be the first cab off the rank for you when talking about industries to watch. Uh, yeah, uh, it is. Uh, I guess retail is going to come up a, uh, a fast closing second. But um, I guess, you know, you, you've hit the nail on the head there, Nick. The, the main main issue with there has been fixed price lump sum contracts entered into pre-COVID are now out of the money. Um, and I guess in terms of, you know, the restructuring sort of issues to focus in on in 2023 there uh, would be, you know, as to whether if that contract's still on foot, whether you can uh, renegotiate it um, uh, to something that's more equitable uh, uh, from the from the builder's perspective, uh, particularly utilising the leverage that you know the principal or sponsor um, is going to uh, want to avoid uh, replacing uh, builders and and uh, the current builder and key contractors purely because of the extra cost and delay uh, uh, that would be incurred in 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 doing so. Um, so I think there's uh, 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 that opportunity, and of course the the other opportunity in that space, which you've you've touched on, is funding progress payments. Because quite often, what you find in those fixed price lump sum contracts is that even when the funds are due and payable, it's not matching the cash flow cycle of, of the builder. Uh, and so, you know, getting advance payment uh, under under uh, progress claims is quite often what's needed to address uh, uh, cash flow holes. Mm. Yeah, well, we certainly, uh, certainly, uh, you're talking Mm. our language. Mm. And you mentioned retail. I mean, retail is always a bit of a battle. One one of the interesting things during Mm. COVID, people have changed their shopping behaviors uh, as well. Mm. More people are going online. There's fewer Mm. people. I don't know what it's like. You're in the city, in Sydney City. Mm. I know you've got another office out at Parramatta. Mm. Um, A lot of those buildings are still not full. People are working two or three days a week. So that that kind of retail has changed. Mm. Mm. What 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 do you, what sort of retail have you have you been seeing? Well, yes, yeah, certainly during COVID, it was happy time uh, for retailers. Uh, you know, people weren't travelling. Um, you know, they had 
uh, during COVID, so, you know, surplus cash, uh, uh, you know, significantly more time on their hands, either uh, working from home or not doing much at home. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there was that 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 cash boost, uh, you know, to occupy time. It was pleasurable activity as, uh, as well. Um, but, um, you know, those that sort of, uh, you know, obviously in the return to work uh, and those uh, and uh, opening up of the borders, that that available discretionary spend uh, is 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 drying up, uh, and also you know households have now been confronted with inc- you know increasing costs uh, you know uh, from inflation and rising interest rates, um, which is being reflected in dis- declining consumer confidence. So basically, all of that sort of points to me at uh, uh, at least uh, you know uh, in downward pressure uh, on sales uh, and through inflation impacting on on retailers uh, and you know uh, employment uh, supply constraints as well increasing costs so uh, you know um, you know revenue and, and expenses the arrows are going in the wrong directions in in in, in both cases and also for retailers, they were sort of forced to move during COVID from a, a just-in-time sort of inventory uh, method, uh, which, you know, was favourable for working capital management, whereas now they've had to move to a just-in-case, um, uh, you know, bigger investment in stock. And because of declining sales, um, they're probably now faced with uh, stock, stock overhang, stock surplus. So they've really now got a push to uh, move that on, you know, to create a bit of a cash buffer uh, to help them through, you know, these, uh, uh, you know, m- m- uh, more challenging economic times during 2023. Look, uh, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, you know, this, this bullwhip effect through the supply chain mm. where mm. Uh, you're right, where, where it was mm. just in time, then it was just mm. in case, and that, then mm. people were... Mm filling up their warehouses, mm. uh, but now we've got rising interest rates, so the holding costs are, go- are going up. Uh, you've mm. got, you do have falling demand. You've got the, mm. the you know, the prices getting mucked up with inflation, mm. what have you. Mm. And, you know, I, I do wonder whether or not that's going to be a deflationary pressure as people try to adjust their inventory levels, but, uh, mm. but uh, who knows. Listen, uh, we're kind of coming towards the end of our time. I just had a couple right. more mm. uh, news articles that I wanted to uh, just get your thoughts on. Uh, one of them is, this is in today's paper, uh, why non-bank lenders face being squeezed out. Now, the problem is that the, you, know, not, you know, there's non-bank lenders and there's non-bank lenders. So mm. Uh, mm. What, what this article here is talking about is uh, is interest rates. As interest rates uh, go up, it puts the squeeze on non-bank lenders, particularly, I suppose, uh, highly leveraged non-bank lenders, like non-bank lenders mm. have borrowed a lot of money themselves, uh, are going to, to feel the pressure. Mm. Um, do you deal with, uh, do you deal with many non-bank lenders? Um, yes, uh, we touched on that a bit earlier, uh, you know, in terms of those uh, SME business sort of platform lenders. Uh, they're very much in that space where they've got wholesale funds uh, uh, that uh, that are a cost to them and, the, and the rising cost. And, you know, now, you know, the, the advantage is swinging towards the big four banks again um, in terms of their cost of capital, uh, you know, because of their big uh, deposit. Uh, depositor base uh, is 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 improving, and you're also seeing you know uh, you know a bit of retraction of private equity uh, wanting to uh, extract themselves out of you know tech deals uh, and the like. Uh, they've uh, typically been pretty heavy users of the the non bank space, so that demand uh, is lessening off there. Uh, some that's that's what I'm seeing. Mm. 
All right, then another uh, another article out of today's paper is this one here. Uh, this could be as good as it gets for banks' bad debts. So the ANZ uh, yeah. declared, uh, what do they say here? Uh, the pain from rate rises is looming, but ANZ's improving bad debt position shows the bank's starting position strong heading into a slowdown. Uh, just a day after ANZ Chief Executive Shane Elliott warned interest rate rises are about to push borrowers into very difficult times ahead, the Melbourne Bank's December quarter update surprised analysts by revealing its bad debt position and asset quality has got even better. Um, so, you know, uh, that's that's the reality. I mean, the bank's uh, looking pretty good. I actually think that part of the reason that the banks are looking good is because uh, their more problematic exposures have probably been pushed on to the balance sheets of non-bank lenders. Uh, I don't know how that gets measured or if anybody's measured that. Um, but what are your thoughts there on on um, on that? Oh, look, uh, you know, obviously it's a true true statement. Uh, also note that ANZ uh, has a, a bigger bias towards the institutional uh, end of town. I, I think, um, you know, the big end of town in terms of borrowers are are, are pretty well uh, positioned to uh, ride out, um, you know, uh, you know, rockier times ahead because they've They've got uh, uh, deeper savings and, and the like, um, uh, but I, I, I do think uh, you know down in the SME space, uh, the small end of town, so to speak, uh, and and lenders into into that space uh, will be 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 facing uh, different prospects uh, to the ANZ Bank. Okay, all right. Well, look. Uh, any other uh, closing thoughts as we? Uh... As we, as we sort of uh, charge on into 2023? Oh, look, I, I guess I can just um, reiterate the old truism that uh, if you're aware of or a part of a business, you know, that's uh, facing financial difficulty, act early and seek professional advice. Great words. Act early, indeed. All right, Mark. Well, thank you very much for uh, joining us in our first uh, lunch money of 2023. Um yeah, so uh, very, very good of you to come along. You've always been a popular guest. So uh, we look forward to uh, speaking to you again. And thank you uh, to our viewers. And uh, we'll do this again in a month. Not much money is now monthly. So uh, see you later. Cheers, Mark. Uh, thank you. Have a good 2023. Yes. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye.